You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is USLHS volunteer, Sarah McHugh. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Jeremy. Today is October 16th, 2022, and this is episode 195 of Lighthearted. This is part two of a two-parter about Wood Island Light Station in Southern Maine, which for my money is one of the most beautiful and historic light stations uh, in New England. Sarah, uh, you and I visited Wood Island in late August. Would you recommend it as a place to visit? I would absolutely recommend it as a place to visit. I had such an incredible time and was so blown away by by everything, the sites, the history, um, the ghost stories, all of it. So definitely mm-hmm. would recommend. Good. I concur. Just a quick recap. Wood Island is just east of the entrance to the Saco River near the village of Bitterford Pool. The light station on the island was established in 1808 and was rebuilt in 1839. That's when the 44-foot Rebelstone Tower that still stands was constructed. Its lantern room was removed in 1972, but it was later replaced by an aluminum replica lantern. Friends of Wood Island Lighthouse, which is a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation, has been working to restore the light station buildings on Wood Island for almost 20 years now. Uh, The organization runs tours to the island in summer from Vines Landing and Bitterford Pool. There are three guests in today's interview. Richard Parsons is a historian for Friends of Wood Island Lighthouse and author of the new book, Wood Wood Island Lighthouse, Stories from the Edge of the Sea. George Bruins is a chairperson of Friends of Wood Island Lighthouse, and Brad Coop is one of the founders of the organization and the past chairperson. Thanks, Sarah. So let's go to part two of our interview about Wood Island Light Station in Maine now. Another one of the most famous stories related to Wood Island, actually, well, peripherally kind of involves uh, Keeper Thomas Orkut, but uh, it was a, a murder-suicide on the island uh, in 1896. The, the murder-suicide was written about uh, by Edward Rose Snow, the late historian, and uh, certainly written about by others over the years. What, what are the true facts about the murder-suicide in 1896? And any of you can take this, Dick, maybe you want to start. Well, but. In 1896, um, there was a dwelling at the western end of the island, and the person who occupied that dwelling was a guy named Frederick Milliken. Um, Also, uh, a part of that property, there was a hennery there, a hen house, which had been converted into a ramshackle kind of dwelling. And in that dwelling were two kind of, I call them 'er ne'er-do-wells. They were fishermen, lobstermen, part-time workers, and so forth. Uh, One was named Howard Hobbs, and the other was William Moses. So those two guys decided in uh, late in May of 1896 that they would go to Old uh, Old Orchard and have a good time, and that's exactly what they did and got quite obnoxiously drunk, apparently, because they were stopped by the local law enforcement um, uh, agent there and um, told to keep it down and they promised that they would and they were left to go on their way. Well, they spent the night in Old Orchard Beach and then made their way back um, by way of the dummy railroad to, um, to eventually they landed again at Hills Beach where they 
restocked their supply of alcohol. And by the time they got back to Wood Island, they were really three sheets to the wind. And this was about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. Apparently, um, Howard Hobbs, according to his partner, um, William Moses, went back to their little ramshackle dwelling and got his gun, um, claiming that he wanted to see Frederick Milliken. Now, there's, there's a little bit unclear as to what that was all about there, but the, probably it had to do with payment of the rent. And Milliken had been sort of after these guys to pay their rent. Apparently they had been somewhat in arrears. At any rate, he got that gun. And when he was asked about it by William Moses, he said, well, I might be able to shoot a bird, but he was, he was really interested in looking for Milliken, which he, and eventually um, he confronted him just in front of the Milliken home. Milliken asked um, if the gun was loaded and got a rather um, ambiguous and obnoxious answer. Uh, at which point uh, Frederick Milliken went back into his house and put on his coat, which um, had his official um, badges and so forth on it. He, he was sort of the, the equivalent today of, of a combination of game warden and deputy sheriff um, stationed out there on the, on the island at any rate. Um, so when he came back out, he uh, asked again if the gun was loaded and reached as if to grab the gun and when he did that, the gun discharged, shooting Milliken in the, in the stomach. Uh, really um, uh, a, a death warrant, um, but he did not die right away. They pull, took him into the house um, and Mrs. Milliken asked Howard Hobbs, the shooter, to run and tell the keeper, Thomas Henry Orcutt, um, what had happened, which he did. Um, he got Orchid um, to the point where uh, they were both ready to go back to the dwelling, to Milliken's dwelling, but Hobbs left first, um, hurried back to the dwelling, and when he poked his head in there and asked about how uh, Milliken was doing, his wife told him that he had died, at which point Howard Hobbs went back to his little Henry dwelling place took the rifle and shot himself. And so the murder-suicide involved the murder of, of uh, Frederick Milliken and the suicide of Howard Hobbs. Mm -hmm. um, the story, I could, I could embellish it, um, but that would probably take another hour. So we just, let's pause yeah. there. Yeah. Those are uh, the two facts. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know for some people it plays into some of the let's say paranormal uh, yeah. legends or stories of the place. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. So uh, we talked about one of the shipwreck incidents a few minutes ago, but uh, are there any other especially notable? And again, I know the word notable is kind of a vague word, but uh, <laughs> you know, are there sh other shipwrecks in the island's history? Uh, that well, there really are two, stand I out? think that, that, that stand out for me. And of course there were plenty um, that we could talk about. But one was the wreck of the Marshall Perrin, which um, occurred in 1906. Uh, and I was I'm thinking, I think it was in November of 1906. Uh, the ship was, um, it was a, a, a schooner headed back to Rockland 
encountered a, reg- a rather major storm and tried to wait it out at Richmond Island. While it was there, it lost its anchor. Um, Richmond Island is about eight miles from Wood Island. Um, and, but when it lost uh, its, uh, loose, its, its chains, it um, started getting blown back toward Wood Island and was totally uncontrollable. So for eight hours, the three members of, uh, sorry, for eight miles, the three members of the crew knew that they were doomed in one way or another and had no way to really control their fate. But the one thing that they decided to do was as they got closer and closer to Wood Island is to crawl out onto the the bow of the boat anyway. And (laughs) they were going to jump off of the bow just as the boat went ashore. Um, And that's exactly what they did. One of them, uh, another guy by the name of John Burke, who was no relation to Charles Burke, the keeper, um, survived. um, And when he became, um, when he became aware enough to notice, he saw that he was right underneath the lighthouse. So he quickly ran up, got got a hold of the keeper there. um, And by the time they got back to the to the wreck, it had just been totally destroyed. And there was no sign of either of the other two crew members. Eventually they were able to get in touch with the uh, life-saving station at Fletcher's Neck. Um, And by the next morning, um, when it arrived, there was really nothing left. They did do a search and eventually found the captain who had, had been badly bruised and battered, but the cook they were never able to find. And once again, there was um, a poem by uh, Waldo um, Verrill, who wrote about the wreck of the Marshall Perrin. And since I've already read one poem, I think I don't need to read this one. Um, But it's in the book. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and by the way, the, the second was the wreck of the item, which was an interesting story because it involves a presidential yacht, which would occasionally uh, pass by Wood Island. And, uh, and in his logbook, the uh, keeper made note of the fact that the Mayflower passed by uh, um, uh, one or two or three times. Um, and that, at that time, it was probably Teddy Roosevelt that was on the ship, if the president was on it at all. But the ship that I'm talking about was named the Sylph. It was another presidential yacht. And... It happened to be in Biddeford Harbor because the president's sister-in-law um, owned a cottage there. And uh, President Taft, um, the, the wife of President Taft had had a stroke and his sister-in-law had gone to Washington, D.C. to care for her sister um, and to sort of play the role that women had to play in in formalities of presidential politics. But anyway, by July, um, um, Mrs. Taft had recovered sufficiently that uh, her sister thought that she could return to Biddeford. And so the president let her borrow his yacht called the Sylph. And um, it was anchored in Biddeford Harbor um, and was an attraction for a lot of people. So um, a, a group of folks from the 
mill decided that they would like to take a little trip out and, and visit close up and personal this presidential yacht, which is what they did. So um, about 31 um, passengers and crew left and sailed down the Saco River and out into the harbor, had a good look at the, at the sylph. They decided that they would go around Wood Island, which they did. And as they were returning to the Saco River, somehow or other, they were swamped by a rogue wave. There's a kind of a, a lot of rumors about how that actually happened. But anyway, the boat totally tipped over. All 31 people uh, wound up in the drink. Women, especially with their long skirts and so forth, were at uh, risk. And the bottom line to all of that, that it was that three of them were um, actually killed as a result or died as a result. Um, what was really interesting to me in the 21st century is that afterward, the jury found that the ship itself was unfit to carry passengers, um, that it was unwieldy. Um, but even after all of that, they said that nothing else needs to be done. So I'm imagining in the 21st century, that would have been lawsuits all over the place. But um, in 1909, when this incident occurred, um, even after they discovered that the ship shouldn't have been carrying passengers, they decided that they would let it go. So yeah, those, those are the two, those are probably not the two most prominent wrecks, um, but those are the two that struck me as being uh, among the most interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. So uh, moving forward in history here, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, of course, the Coast Guard took over the management of lighthouses from the, the Civilian Lighthouse Service in 1939. Under the Coast Guard, did, did Wood Island remain a, a family station? Did you have Coast Guard keepers living there with their families after that? Yeah, we did for, for a time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was until um, just, well, the families were out there until um, the late 70s. Mm -hmm. um, when they decided that uh, it should not be a family station anymore. So for a very short period of time, it was, uh, it was not a family station. But for the most part, from 1930 time, not, uh, 1939 until about uh, late 70s, it was. But the interesting thing to me is that when, when that change occurred, it, it caused a change in culture um, out there as well, because no longer, I mean, up until 1939, the keepers were well into their 50s. Oftentimes when they were out there, they had large families. Um, they would serve sometimes for eight years or more on the average. Um, the Coast Guard keepers, though, were much younger. They had very small families, usually young kids, um, and served for less than well, two years or, or less even. So that, that meant that the, that the culture itself had kind of changed you know, with the Coast Guard period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So briefly, near, near the end of its life as a staffed light station, it was a stag station, as they would say, a males, male keepers only. Well, at the very, it was at the very end, maybe the three tail. or four years. Ago. Yeah. It was automated when, again? 1986. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So I know that during the Coast Guard years, there are some stories of strange experiences on the island, and it got a reputation for being haunted. Um, so do any of you have any stories or comments on that? <laughs> Don't all talk at once. But. We can find you someone who does, but <laughs> who yeah. did. But it is it's certainly uh, so one of the things the place has uh, gotten publicity for, certainly, over the years. Well, I, can, I, I mean, I can talk about But George, why, I've talked enough. George, why don't you? Well, it, it, one of our, our very uh, dear volunteers is, is Russ Lowell. And Lowell was out there in the, uh, in the early 1970s. And, um, uh, and, and he tells stories that, that he and his, his wife, Terry, uh, experience while they were out there. And, and the one that that uh, that I like to tell when I'm out there at the lighthouse is, has to do with the grease pencils. Um, he used to use grease pencils to record weather observations and that sort of thing. And they were always missing. And, you know, and he'd get out another one. And, and, and a little while later, it was missing again. And uh, this went on for a while. And, you know, he had other experiences like his calculator would be turned on uh, in the morning when he knew he turned it off the night before. And Terry, uh, you know, would back up and back into somebody who wasn't there. And but she could feel it. There was someone there. But uh, anyway, the, as, as time went on, he happened to go up into the attic one day and the attic has a stairway that that goes up from the second floor and he started seeing grease pencil marks along the top of the ceiling um, near the top of the ladder and he you know pushed open the hatch and there were all of his grease pencils lined up in a line at the top of the uh, of the uh, on the floor of the of the of the attic and um, so we often tell that story but uh, you know, we've had some experiences even this summer with people coming down the stairs of the lighthouse and and uh, being the last one down the stairs, but feeling that was someone behind them. Um, we had a, a rocking chair that started rocking in the living room for no particular reason. Uh, several experiences like that, uh, even on the boardwalk, people felt that there was someone behind them. So who knows? Well, in the in 2005 and 2006, the New England Ghost Project came out to the island and they brought all kinds of equipment and a medium and, and so forth. At that time, the, the dwelling was still under construction, but they went upstairs um, into one of the bedrooms, which as I say, was still being, uh, was still under construction. Um, and this is, what they found. There are two people involved in this. One was Maureen, who was the medium, and Karen, who was one of the technical people out there. And Maureen said, suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, a green light flicked the top of the room rafters and along the wall. Karen said, oh, wow, look at the green lights. Maureen says the green lights were zipping this way and that, dancing back and forth over our heads, down around our feet. We sat mesmerized like kids watching fireworks for the first time until they just stopped. A green light brushed my cap and shot across the room toward Karen, weaving its way through, the, through her hair. Almost instantaneously, Karen's voice echoed my own. 
Did you feel that? Hmm. That's for Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> I'll just I'll just throw in. Uh, I know who you're talking. I know Maureen Wood and Karen Mossy and Ron Kolick, the founder and lead lead guy of uh, New England Ghost Project. He's been involved with our uh, chapter here, uh, Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. And I went out to Wood Island with Ron uh, the first time he scouted the place out before the investigation you're talking about. Uh, we went out with another psychic by the name of Vicki Monroe, and she did not take part in the later investigation, but she she walked around and she, she said, oh, there's all kinds of activity here. She felt really strongly <laughs> about it. So, you know, again, who knows is the bottom line on all of this. Um, yeah, I was going to say when we were out there, um, it was a beautiful day and you walk through the lighthouse and all the rooms and it seems so, I mean, it's so charming and lovely and, and beautiful out there. But then I remember all the volunteers were getting ready to leave the island and we were kind of the last people. And I was like, okay, it's a little bit of an eerie feeling like, like something else is there and you're walking away from the lighthouse and you can just kind of feel that, that eerie feeling following you, following you out. Yeah. I'm sure some of you have been there at night and you probably feel that, that sort of feeling a, a bit more after dark than in the, out in the sunlight. <laughs> yeah. We still have a picture that was taken by a friend of ours uh, at night. Um, I think he kayaked out there in November uh, in the middle of the night. And uh, in the photograph, there is a light on in the upstairs master bedroom. And we never saw the light on when we came back there in the spring and the bulb was not burned out. So we don't know about that. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> that's that's pretty interesting my only experience was that when i was out there with the woodchucks one day they locked me yeah. left <laughs> they had to come back and get me uh, i don't think it was a ghost but i didn't encounter any either right well luckily you didn't become uh, another ghost at the lighthouse no, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um so i guess switching gears back to uh talking about the coast guard years are there any other interesting stories about coast guard life on the island well i, I um yeah the answer is yes um uh, while earl benson was out there during world war ii um he is reported to have been up in the tower um dodging bullets that were being shot over the island as the navy was kind of um, practicing some of its artillery um, much to the chagrin of Mrs. Benson, who every time the, the Navy shot off its guns, she had to open up the windows because if they were closed, they were under um, threat of being broken. So this meant that during foul weather, she would open these windows and all sorts of havoc would be played inside her dwelling. So Mrs. Benson, Alice Benson was not a happy camper. So that she tells the story that one time some of the plotters came out to Wood Island and their job was to sort of track these shells as they were going over the island and letting the, the, um, letting the shooters know exactly um, how close they were coming to the target. So she noticed that these plotters were, were on the island and that they were taking up a, a space um, near a spot where she knew there was just a lot of poison ivy. 
And so she said uh, in, in her interview that all things come to those who wait. <laughs> and she didn't mention anything to anybody about that poison ivy and went on to say that those plotters never returned to the island. <laughs> <laughs> so. The explanation for those guns firing over, you probably know, up on the, what is now the golf course of the Abenaki Club, there were gun emplacements uh, during World War II, and they did do some practice. Why they fired near the lighthouse, I don't know, but they yeah. were there. Yeah. Well, I've heard about similar stories at a couple of other lighthouses where they uh, did bombing practice uh, at the wrong island where people were living at the lighthouse and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so uh, let, let me ask you a, a question just to clarify something. The lantern of, of the lighthouse uh, is actually a replica. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. the, uh, it was taken off for a while. It was sort of a headless lighthouse for some years with a, a rotating arrow beacon type light at the top, a naked light at the top, uh, and uh, the replica was made. But it certainly looks authentic, uh, and anybody who doesn't know wouldn't know the difference, I think. Um, yeah, it is, a, it is a replica, obviously, and, and um, recently we have uh, been told that we're going to be gifted the uh, original arrow beacon, which has been found at Portland Headlight. Uh, in storage, so I don't know where we're going to put it yet, but uh, uh, it's a it's a something that's going to come our way. Wow! Um, I actually ran into a friend of mine who who said that he cast the ball on the top of the new um, uh, of the new light room uh, when he worked in a foundry down in Massachusetts. Hmm. Wow! Interesting. Right now, it's in three boxes, three wooden boxes that has been in, found in storage, and it's it was labeled as Wood Island. So, wow, it uh, looks like we're going to be uh, given it. It's they tell us it's going to remain the property of the Coast Guard. Mm -hmm. Right, right, which is usually the case. Well, that's 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 great news. Um, so most of the island, other than the light station, was deeded to the Maine Audubon in 1970. Um, what do they do there? And is there a good working relationship with your group? They don't come out there very often, uh, but they do work with us. They um, work with us on an island cleanup in 2021, um, sent out a number of volunteers to work with us. We took out uh, 30 yards of, of trash and, and that sort of thing uh, that had been built up over the years on the island. Uh, they recently came out with a brand new sign um, that uh, tells uh, anyone who's visiting about the, the the types of birds that are on the island. Uh, but otherwise, it's it's a passive re reserve. Um, but we do have a good relationship with them. It, it all started recently. The recent startup was was after we someone uh, had a fire on our our lawn uh, one fall not too long ago and. Uh, uh, we decided that we needed to have some new signage to to prevent uh, people from uh, camping and and having fires and hunting out there. And we called Audubon, and they said, "Yeah, we agree with you." And so that started the 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 move for new signage on both of our parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there was an, an, a fairly new sign right near the boathouse, right? Yes. Yeah, which was really nice to see when I was we were last there. 
at this point, uh, I'm going to mention that I, our friend Dick here needs to, uh, I think you have someplace you, you need to, to be soon. I do. Uh, so I'm going to uh, excuse you from the, the rest of this, uh, <laughs> this uh, discussion here, but I, I really appreciate your time so much and uh, your knowledge of the history of the place, of course, is, uh, is tremendous and, and uh, it's all interesting stories. I know there's so much more of that we could talk about, but again, I refer people to to your excellent book, Wood Island Lighthouse, Stories from the Edge of the Sea. So uh, thank you so much, Dick, and you are hereby dismissed. Well, thank you. And it's a real pleasure to be here. And we can tell some of those stories another time. All right. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. Thank you, Dick. <laughs> Great. Bye. 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 George and, and Brad, of course, uh, the place has been uh, largely restored. You've done a, a the foul has done a tremendous uh, job over the years, restoring the uh, especially the keeper's house. Uh, have you restored it to a specific time period? As you, Jeremy, and others on the on this know, uh, the standards that the I think they're National Park Service standards, but they're the federal standards applicable to structures in the uh, Re National Register of Historic Places, which the Lighthouse is. Uh, they provide a variety of ways to restore a house or a structure, uh, or treatments they're called, and at least one of those allows the proprietor to restore uh, to a, a period of significance. And that enables the restorer to take away things that have been put on since the period of significance and uh, take the lighthouse or the structure back to that period, um, even though the things that may have been put on would qualify as being of a certain age to, to be historic themselves. So we chose the, uh, to follow that method of treatment. And we chose the period of 1906 because that's when the current structure uh, was created or the, I should say the Keeper's House evolved uh, into the uh, structure that it is today. And, uh, uh, and so we've been working in and submitting things to the State Historic Preservation Commission, which has supervision of our, of our work uh, on behalf of the Coast Guard. And, uh, um, and so we like that period of significance for a variety of reasons. Uh, the first being that it does take us back to what we think is this, uh, from an architectural standpoint, the most pleasing uh, iteration of the, of the Keeper's House. And at least in my own mind, to a period before electricity, before modernity came in and all of those iconic features of lighthouses that we like to talk about, be it the bell tower or the mechanism, the clock tower mechanism, the clock mechanism that uh, rings the bell or turns the, the uh, uh, light were, were important. And the Fresnel lens, which was important for 110 years out there uh, was still in place. So we feel we've got a special history to show uh, that is much more uh, interesting and it gives an authenticity to the history of the place and the island. Uh, and so we have been doing that 
and have largely completed it. Um, but uh, George has ambitions for the future. And yeah, George, uh, is there anything like in the pipeline at this point as far as projects? It's, it's hard to say anything's in the pipeline because, uh, you know, we you, you need to specify projects, but th th these are the things that we would like to do. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't mentioned the fact that that part of the reason that the keepers were able to be out at the lighthouse when they were only allowed to leave, you know, uh, sporadically during the, the, the winter months and that sort of thing is that they were farmers. And this was a saltwater farm for most of its history. Uh, and there was a barn out there uh, until probably the late 1930s when the, the last barn was taken down. Uh, we know that uh, in, in when Keeper Burke was there in 1906 to 1914, uh, he had a small, bar, smaller barn. There used to be a much larger barn out there, which uh, came down, uh, I guess, in the 1890s and and uh, or early 2000 to 1900s, um, and. Um, so he had a small barn out there and he had a, he kept a cow and chickens and that sort of thing. And I gather there were, you know, animals out there until the 1930s. And so we would like to uh, evoke that uh, saltwater farm aspect of the lighthouse uh, at some point by, by rebuilding uh, probably the 19, early 1900s barn. Um, and in the inside, we would have greater uh, space for ex ex exhibits and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that would be one project that we'd like to do. Uh, we have recently uh, been talking about uh, the fact that there is a dug well out there. It still exists. And we have discovered, we're going to talk about this tomorrow night, in fact, uh, we have discovered that uh, in Saco, there is a pump identical to a pump that is, is shown in a photograph of the uh, uh, of the Burke family standing by the pump pumping water for the cow. And uh, so we, we, you know, we're thinking, well, maybe we will be able to do something with that. But other than that, we really have, you know, we have constant maintenance. The boardwalk is now 27 years old. Uh, we need to spend time on on maintenance, but this year we spent over twenty thousand dollars on restoration and maintenance, and uh, so it's a it, it's been a good year for us. I, mm -hmm. I, just, I just have to note George's idea that the barn would be used for presentations and things. At least some of our members, and one of them on the executive committee in particular, uh, thinks we should have sheep. So that barn may have to house a flock of sheep and um, Kyle will be the tender of, of the shepherd. <laughs> or goats. Goats, <laughs> goats. goats would be great to, to clear the remainder of the of the eight acres. Yeah. When, we came, when we came out there in 2003, four and, and that sort of thing, the, the, the brush came right up to the house. And at, over time, we have been pushing back and pushing back and creating, uh, you know, more lawn area out there. But eventually, it would be nice if we could clear more of the eight acres. Yeah, I know there's a lighthouse in Massachusetts, Tarpaulin Cove and the Elizabeth Islands off Cape Cod, where they have a herd of uh, Scottish uh, cattle 
that keep the grass uh, very, very yeah. trimmed. <laughs> so, but I was, I was thinking about the possibility of goats or sheep on Wood Island. You'd have to somehow fence them in or something, right? Because uh, otherwise Audubon might not be too excited about the, the prospect. Well, and getting them across the boardwalk might be a bit of a challenge too. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real interesting idea. What about the bell tower? Um, has there been any thought of actually rebuilding the bell tower, the fog bell tower? Not, not recently. We uh, th And there's also another wood barn that, that could be rebuilt too. We've thought about uh, rebuilding the wood barn and putting a uh, uh, handicapped bathroom in it. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we haven't talked about the bell tower in part because and, and it's a question that you know, of, of the erosion that has taken place over the years, um, you know, where would we put it? We might not be able to put it where it really was. Right. Well, since you bring that, bring that up, uh, let me ask you, uh, I'm wondering if, if either of you, uh, Brad or George, if you've seen, no, well, it sounds like you have seen noticeable effects of climate change and our erosion on Wood Island, uh, have you uh, have you been seeing especially high tides in recent years? Uh, uh, in, you know, increasingly severe storms. All the things that's being that are being talked about with climate change. What are you What are you seeing at Wood Island? Well, we we are monitoring it. Uh, we have uh, one of the one of our volunteers has been taking pictures of the same spot. Um, uh, each year or each or f every few years to make sure that we're not losing a lot. Um, and, and I guess the answer is we're probably not losing a large amount because it's basically a rock Island. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but we are losing some. And, and uh, when the bell tower was taken down, uh, it's entirely possible that it was right on the edge of things. So, you know, we are watching that. We will we will clearly have to watch it with regard to the ramp, the yeah, Coast Guard right. ramp at the other end of the island. Yeah, yeah, rising sea levels will definitely have a big we, effect on that. We're beginning to get a little bit of erosion underneath the boathouse this year. We noticed for the first time. Oh, okay, that's interesting. One phenomenon, and and to try to talk or attribute climate change those changes to climate change. <laughs> becomes difficult because there is erosion and lighthouses have been moving away for a long time from the water. But uh, uh, this year, I thought we had seen when we came out in the spring, evidence of extraordinary uh, water levels and, and uh, uh, storm downfall from uh, uh, within the island because the foliage covered it up nicely. But it really looked as though there had been some severity that we hadn't seen before. And along the walkway, just before you got to the to the uh, uh, lighthouse itself, we had a small pond, uh, a large pond or a small lake uh, evident. And we've never seen that before uh, in the spring. And I'd have to say, I don't think we had abnormal snowfall that would have explained that and so it was it was arguable i suppose that that is a, a harbinger of uh, of climate change yeah yeah well it's a big big subject and we could talk more about that but uh obviously as you said george uh having a, a rocky island uh, makes it less susceptible to 
to fast erosion more than some of the sandy places, but still rising sea levels is something to, something to watch. Uh, so it's come up a couple of times in the course of conversation today, but what are the woodchucks? The, wood, the woodchucks are uh, a group of volunteers, uh, probably our most flexible volunteer program because people come when they can come and don't come when they can't come. Um, but it, we have a, a large number of volunteers that come out every Tuesday morning um, throughout the summer and early spring. And the last one is going to be this week uh, to, uh, to maintain the property. And they mow the lawns, they repair the gardens, um, they clean the house, and um, uh, it, it's a it's a great group of people. There are over seventy people on the on the list. However, of course, like every volunteer situation, there are those that come every single week, and and some that come sporadically. But it's a it's a it's a great program for us. We are so fortunate to have the numbers of volunteers that we have both as docents as well as as uh, woodchucks. We always need more. Um, and then if somebody's interested in volunteering, how would they sign up for that or get more information? Our our website does have a, a segment in it on how to become a volunteer and describing the various ways that people can volunteer. The, the, the ways basically are met being part of the woodchucks, being part of the docent group, being part of the crew on the boat, um, being part of the history group. And um, uh, and we have people that are working in all of those areas. And it's a, it, we're very, very fortunate to have as many as we do. But when this year, for example, we expanded from, from three days a week to four days a week. Uh, and we got nine new docents to help us out. But, you know, even then, we could always use more. The day that Sarah and I were out there a couple of weeks ago, you had some volunteers, but you also had a, a group, a kind of a visiting group from a, a company, a local. IDEX. What was the company of the people that were out there that day? IDEX. Uh, the, I think they were all IDEX, weren't they, George? Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. And uh, hmm. uh, for a very prominent company, and they've got a group of people who are repeat volunteers and new ones. I mean, they, we have trouble finding projects for them because there are so many of them that want to come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they were doing a lot of good, good work out there. They painted the whole boathouse that they were out there. Yep. And we have volunteers from Tom's of Maine and I'm trying to think who the Roxy sugar. Oh, Roxy sugar. Yeah. And some of those volunteers then become our volunteers and they're a very, very uh, dedicated bunch. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I'm going to ask you about public tours because whoever is listening by now, you should know that you have to get out there and visit. Um, I was, I was telling Brad earlier, it's one of my favorite lighthouse visits I've ever been to. And I think super unique, the long walk out there, um, the nature preserve around it and getting there by boat is, is super awesome. Uh, so what's the season for tours and how do they work? Well, we our season is the months of July and August. We start July 1st, we end August 31st. 
Um, sometimes we do Maine Open Lighthouse Day in September, though sometimes the weather prevents us from doing that as it did this year. Um, and the way the tour works, first of all, you register through our website, www.woodislandlighthouse.org. Um, and, um, and you make a reservation, you can do that starting on June 1 of any year. Um, and uh, that you can register uh, for a tour throughout the entire July and August season. And um, the way the tour works, people arrive at, at Vines Landing, which is in Biddeford Pool. We, our boat is a uh, aluminum landing craft, which has a drop front so that it lands on the beach uh, at Vines Landing and it lands on the Coast Guard ramp at Wood Island. Uh, so it's a walk on walk off situation and you have to walk across half mile boardwalk uh, to get to the lighthouse and the tours last an hour and 45 minutes to two hours. Awesome. And during the tours, do guests get to climb the lighthouse? Yes, uh, they climb the tower. Uh, they are taken through the house. The house is furnished to uh, 1906, all of the furnishings inside the house are 1906 vintage. Most of them have been uh, donated to us, some of them purchased, um, but they are all to the correct period. Uh, Coast Guard people and, and Lighthouse Service people brought their own furniture out there. So there is very little in the house that, that belonged to a keeper, but we have a few things from the Burke family. Awesome. Yeah, that, it was, I could have spent hours in there. Um, all of the, all of the little details of, of everything from that time period was so awesome to see. Um, all the old chairs, all of that was super, super cool. So if you haven't already, get out there, anybody who's listening. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So before we wrap things up here, let me just ask you guys um, about the license plate, the main lighthouse license plate that was developed in the past uh, couple of years by somebody in your group. You want to say a little bit about that? Sean Murphy, who was mentioned earlier as one of the uh, original founders of Friends of Wood Island Lighthouse, uh, uh, really wanted to uh, have a Maine lighthouse plate. I mean, we, we are, lighthouses are iconic to Maine. And so he uh, left our board, formed the Maine Lighthouse Trust, and was really the, the sole person behind the activity to, uh, to gather up $50,000 worth of, of uh, commitments to that people would, uh, would use a, a, license, a lighthouse license plate. And uh, our organization contributed to a founders program um, so that that we will we will eventually benefit in some ways from from the, the money that comes through the, the lighthouse trust um but sean was really the the the, the main driver behind that whole program and the, the the picture that's on the lighthouse license plate which you're beginning to see pretty frequently in maine now is our lighthouse wood island yeah, yeah, I was aware, aware of that. I should mention also, Sean is uh, one of your boat captains and actually uh, was the captain of the boat yep. the day we went out yep. there a Sean, couple of weeks ago. Sean continues to volunteer for the Woodchuck Days 
uh, we have three captains who are paid captains uh, that run the tours, but Sean and Russ Lowell um, are our volunteer captains for the woodchuck days. Mm -hmm. uh, Brad, uh, just kind of an uh, aside for you, uh, a question uh, I wanted to ask. Uh, I, I know you're also an accomplished watercolor artist. I, I think I saw something online recently about you do like workshops. Is that is that correct? Uh, that's not accurate and accomplished, oh. accomplished, have <laughs> around it. um, I've been doing it for years and years and, uh, I, yes, I've painted the lighthouse, uh, not with the IDEX people, but, uh, on a piece of paper and, uh, 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 you know, I have, I have been an instructor for the uh, York County senior college, but mostly I take workshops. I don't give them. Ah, okay. Okay. I knew that there was some sort of instruction or something like that you were involved with. Is there a way people can see your work online? No, not really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that's okay. You have to get one of his Christmas cards. That's right. You got to get on my Christmas card list, but don't bother this year because so far I haven't thought of a subject. Ah, if I've people become... If people become a volunteer for foul, do they, do they automatically in your Christmas no, card they, list? No, 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 no. I mean, I, <laughs> sorry. I, I, I send out about 200 of them. I don't need any more. <laughs> right. I completely understand that. We have one more question for you here. Uh, and this is for bonus points. I'll, I'll let Sarah go ahead and ask the question here. So what is your favorite thing about Wood Island Lighthouse and the work that you do there? Either one of you can jump in first. Well, for me, it's it's a beautiful place. And I can think of nowhere that I would rather be on a sunny sun, summer day than out there at the lighthouse. That's one thing. And the other thing is that I've worked with a lot of volunteer organizations over the years. And one of the things about working with Friends of Wood Island Lighthouse is that we're all pulling in the same direction. And, uh, and, and therefore everyone is enjoying what they're doing because we're all trying to get the lighthouse restored and to educate people about the legacy of lighthouses. And so everyone's pulling in the same direction. There's no politics and it's just a, a fun organization to be part of. I could almost say ditto because indeed uh, I was headed in the same direction the thing I will commend for George, though, is spending a day out there with a paintbrush is a much better way. It's it's very it's it's a wonderful place. It for me, it is the place, and by place I mean the island and the lighthouse, because as restored now and as it has been since we've started, you are really transported away from modernity you are going back to an island that probably looks very similar to what it was in the days of the uh the halcyon days of the of the lighthouse and uh, uh and this but but take that thing the lighthouse and, and its physical presence and for me the thing my favorite thing is that we have in in our volunteers all the things that George said. And curiously, over the 19 years of doing this, whenever it became necessary, 
for a resource to be available, somehow someone showed up or we've discovered they had it in their capacity to do. So we, we, we are always on a, gee, I wonder where we're going to get that. And almost instantly we've got it. When you, we need a floor cloth, Amy builds a floor cloth. We need a boat, Sean, it was enough of a waterman uh, to find a design and uh, see it through construction. Um, it's, it is just, if you go up the tower, you're going to now go up a double helix railing that was constructed by one of our volunteers, Kyle, and he's a superb craftsman. And this year he refinished it and it's like a piece of finished furniture. When you want to build a library box, which everybody wants in the lighthouse business, we can get you the drawings. Uh, but you find the craftsman who can, first of all, interpret those drawings. I looked at those when we got them. And you'll find that, uh, that it's very hard to find the person who can do it. And the fellow who did ours had the added capacity that in addition to being an expert woodworker, he is a metal worker. He was metal worker before he was a woodworker. So the metal strapping around it, he was able to build. And we have just the most gorgeous library box that you could want. And I, I literally hate to stop here because there are numerous examples of this kind of talent just emerging from somewhere. Where did that come from? It's, it's, it's just a it is everything that George said about volunteerism, but that special capacity is something that I just marvel at every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, uh, first of all, we haven't said a lot about uh, the fact that Fowl is a, a chapter of the American Lighthouse Foundation. And uh, as a longtime board member of the American Lighthouse Foundation, on behalf of ALF, I want to thank uh, you guys and everybody in foul for uh, what you've accomplished over the years. And it's, it's really just a, a, a shining example of what can be done by a volunteer group at an Island light station. Uh, it's hard to think of any that are more, more so, you know, uh, as far as Island light stations, there's special challenges and you guys have just done a tremendous uh, job. So thank you. Thank you so much for all that. Thank you for joining me today for this interview. Uh, it's uh, It's gone on a while. I appreciate you hanging in there. And uh, I also want to thank, of course, uh, Dick Parsons, who uh, who had to leave a little bit early, who uh, contributed a, a, a lot about the, uh, the history of the place. And I want to mention his book again, Wood Island Lighthouse Stories from the Edge of the Sea, which uh, anybody who wants to know more about this place needs to get the book. And Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It was good to see you all again. See you, sir. What, what, what mm -hmm, question? Go ahead. Where do we cash in our bonus points? <laughs> Jeez, nobody's asked that before. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta figure something out for that. We'll figure. We'll. There'll be a way. There'll be a way. You'll, you'll get, you'll get credit in one we way or another. To it. Yeah. There's a, it's all, it's all karma. It'll, it'll come back to you. So, so thank you so much, uh, George and Brad. I, I really, really, really appreciate everything. You're most welcome. We've enjoyed. Thank you. That about wraps up our two part episode about Wood Island light station. Thanks so much for being a part of this, Sarah, uh, both as co-host here and as the on-camera person for the videos on the Island. I ho hope you had a good time. 
I absolutely did. And, and thanks for inviting me to join along. You're very welcome. And thank you to everyone associated with the U.S. Lighthouse Society and its chapters and affiliates. Check out uslhs.org to learn more. Mark Twain once wrote, quote, 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than those you did. So throw off those bowlins, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the wind in your sails, explore, dream, discover, unquote. We will be back with a new episode of Lighthearted next weekend. For now, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thank you so much for listening and keep a good light. <laughs>